the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Good morning and welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church and especially those of you who are tuning in on the live stream. Very glad that you could join us also. Our senior minister is away this week and he has asked me to preach in his absence. And we're continuing the series that he started on the subject of love based on 1 Corinthians 13. He wants to unpack the meaning of what love is. This morning, I'm preaching a little bit different message, but on that same subject, I want to talk about living a life of love. I love reading the gospel accounts of the wisdom of Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always trying to trick him, to ensnare him, or challenge his teaching and discredit him and prove to the crowds that Jesus' teachings were either false or inferior to theirs, and they were trying to maintain a status above his, yet they were never, ever able to succeed. Now, during Jesus' final week, after he had ridden into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry on what we call Palm Sunday, the Sadducees and Pharisees were trying again to discredit him. But they were not only unsuccessful, the scriptures say they were astonished at his teaching. Now, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, Jesus' answer, he gave them the answer, but it was much more than what they had anticipated. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I think that's incredible. You know, so oftentimes we think about what is the Christian life, and we think about all sorts of things. And Jesus just summed it up in two commandments. Love the whole Lord, love the Lord with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. It was the basis even for the Ten Commandments. And why is that the greatest commandment? Well, if we're not loving the Lord with our all, we're definitely having trouble with being faithful in living for the Lord. We'll not only not be trying our best, we may not be trying at all to live like God intends for us to live in the second greatest commandment. Now, I want to just challenge you. If you've never done it, or if it's been a long time since you've done it, it would be good to make an honest evaluation of your love for God. Now, check with it on two things. First of all, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But then also, we need to test this then, evaluating our love for him compared to our love for things, for earthly pleasures, or for our selfish love for whatever it is that we love more than God. If our love for God is not first and foremost, we will definitely not be able to obey the second greatest commandment, nor will we be able to follow any of his other commandments to any degree of success. And we will be a poor representation of the kind of life that God has created us to live. Now, in 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse 8, the scripture says, 
God is love. He's the personification of love. And we are created in the image of God. God intended for us from the very beginning to live in love, love for him and love for each other. And it's important that we understand that all of these attributes of love are relational. Just think about that. All of them relational. They describe how we are to live out the love of God as he intends us to live. Now, living love is how we keep that second greatest commandment. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus worded it another way with what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And then Jesus raised the bar even further when he gave his disciples another commandment, both for them to live and for them to teach us how to live when he said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the reason why is very important for us who wear the name Christian, because he said, by this, by your love for one another, will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But do we realize that all these relational conflicts that we have with each other, with others, are caused by not treating others in the ways that we would like to be treated? In the Ten Commandments, God listed first. He's first, but then he gave six other commandments that all have to deal with the second greatest commandments and how we love others. But God never intended for us to steal, to murder, to commit adultery, to lie or to covet or to dishonor our parents. And the scriptures also list many other ways that are not loving our neighbor as ourselves or are not doing to others as we want them to do for us. They're sinful acts produced by our sinful nature such as being sexually immoral or impure, being full of selfish ambition, uh, judging one another, slander, hating one another, being jealous, having fits of rage. All of these are evidence of our sinful nature. And, And God knows the hurt, the unhappiness, and the damage that's caused to relationships that these actions cause because they show disregard, unconcern, ill will. They certainly don't show love. But do we realize that most of the civil laws established by our government and other governments and even societal laws in different cultures throughout the world are to keep people from living according to our sinful nature? Might have to check that for our laws at this stage. (laughs) Some of those laws are being changed. But nevertheless... These are how most of the laws were. Do good. Do we realize that no government, no culture has any laws against godly, moral love or being joyful, peaceful, being patient, kind, being morally good, being faithful, gentle, or self-controlled? No, no laws against that. But furthermore, God has given us several practical ways to live in love. And they're described in 1 Corinthians 13 in one place. Now, When you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you have to realize that the Greek grammar is a little bit different from the English grammar. 
All of these attributes of love that are explained that are explained in 1 Corinthians 13, at least most of them, are not adjectives describing the noun love. They are action verbs, actually in the participle form. Like being loving is being patient. Being loving is being kind. Being loving is being faithful. Being all of these things. Love is an active thing. Now, oftentimes we're prone to think that our main responsibilities are not doing certain things. And we're prone to have pride and think of ourselves spiritually successful because of the things that we don't do. But do we realize that there are 21 different ways, actually commandments, to express and live love in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ? 21. Here's some of them. I want to list a few of them. But these are called the one another scriptures. They're based on the metaphor of the church being one body, the body of Christ. And the apostle Paul explained our relationship and our responsibility to each other like this. He said, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, these one another commandments uh, are given so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And it's by living in love, these one another responsibilities, that the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part, each member does its work. Now let me list just a few of these one another scriptures. I'm sure you've read them off and on, but there is a big list of them. They say this, accepting one another, being devoted to one another, admonishing one another, caring for one another, serving one another, carrying one another's burdens, bearing with one another, esteeming one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, being kind to one another, love one another. And the list even goes on further. So by living love, by practicing these one another commandments, we build up the body of Christ and enable believers to reflect the love of Christ to each other. Now the church that is not reflecting the love of Christ to each other will instead be more apt to reflect the acts of the sinful nature and will remain in a state of trouble, conflicts, power struggles, arguments, separating from each other. Now, the church in Corinth was like this. For those believers were acting more like non-Christians than Christians. This is what Paul said when he asked them the question, are you not acting like mere men? And what is odd, though, is that Paul spoke of their congregation saying, you do not lack any spiritual gift. But they had many serious problems. They had quarrels. They had divisions and power struggles. They were permitting immorality in their membership that Paul said was worse than the pagans. They reflected a lack of love in their love feasts and their communion service. And some even doubted the resurrection of Christ. Now, the spiritual gifts that Paul was referring to, especially the supernatural gifts, are important because they validate the gospel, but they do not validate the spirituality of the one with that gift. 
Now, some with the more spectacular gifts in Corinth (laughs) were making those who did not have those gifts feel inferior. We're better than you. And it made them feel like, oh, I wish I had this gift. They were discontent with that. There were all kinds of problems resulting from that, even in their worship service. And Paul got right to the point of the problem in the church at Corinth. They were not loving God first and foremost. And all of this was what Satan was using to cause all the problems in the church at Corinth. And this was keeping them from loving each other as Christ loved them. Now, I want to just share something about my own experience here. John asked me, Dad, give some examples from your life, if you would. So I want to share just a couple of things here. When I was serving as director for the branch of Pioneer Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea, I had a fellow translator ask me if I would like to join him in a study of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Well, I knew that we were on the front lines of spreading the gospel And some supernatural manifestations would help in the spiritual warfare against their worship of and their involvement with evil spirits. And Paul had encouraged the Corinthian Christians eagerly desire the greater gifts. But he also made this clear, that the Spirit distributes them to each one as he determines So it wasn't anything that we would be able to do to get those. The Spirit would decide who got them. Now, we had several good discussions. But when we came to the final chapter or final verse in chapter 12, it was a life changer for me. Because Paul said, and listen real closely, he said, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And then he said, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, my receiving a spiritual gift at that time was no longer my prime concern. I was reminded of one thing that was more excellent and more important that I should be seeking, to be able to love others like Christ loves me. And I made a decision right then. Study's over for me. This is what I was going to strive for the rest of my life, to love others like Christ loved me. Now, I would encourage each of you to consider striving for the same, but I want to warn you about something. What happened to me after I made that decision, praying every day, focusing on that, to try to accomplish that as a way of life, were the two most miserable months of my spiritual growth. Because what the Lord was doing was just revealing to me, you're still selfish, Dave. You're just doing that because that's what you want. Are you really considering what I want? Oh, that wasn't good, Dave. Oh, my goodness. And I'd go back to praying and say, God, help me. I'm glad you're pointing that out, but wow, this is a challenge. Now, even when we were in training, I'd been primed for that somewhat during our first year because there were other students there where we were attending 
that were really concerned about whether or not they'd call to be a translator or not. Because one of the teachers had said, now our organization is focusing on A students. We just mainly want A students so that these people, after they've done their translation, can, or can go ahead and get their doctorate degree and become consultants. Now, some of these students were really concerned because they were only B students. And so they asked one of the professors there, said, could we meet with you? We want to talk about this. We feel like we're called a translation, but we're not A students. You all only want A students? And he said this. He said, you know, I've been talking with several other veteran translators about this. Is this really what we want? And he says, I don't think so. We have several people who are so gifted in linguistics, so knowledgeable, so brilliant. But he said, we found that these people are the ones that they just focus on doing all the work themselves. They're convinced they've got it right. They show it to the people and the people say, ah, that doesn't say, no, it's right. I've analyzed it. This is your language here, you know. And they were focusing more on their analysis than they were on loving the people. And that's what he shared. And, and here's what he said. He said that, uh, I lost my place here. I know what I'm telling his story, but uh, okay, yeah, I've turned too many pages at once here. All right, here we go. So what he said was, uh, if you will love the students, they'll love you back. Or if you'll love the, the people. If you'll love the people, they'll love you back. They will help you, they'll work with you, and they'll receive what you, together with them, produced. People, loving people, loving the people is the one essential in all missionary work. And it is the one essential ingredient in leading people to Christ and building a church. And you know that Satan is going to work to catch us at our weak and unsuspecting moments, usually when we're more concerned about what we want or our focus on our own agenda. And that leads me to one other story that I want to tell you. During our first term in Papua New Guinea, we were working on analyzing the sound system of the Kirei language, trying to develop an alphabet for it. We were trying to analyze the grammar, and this takes a lot of focus, a lot of concentration, a lot of prayer. But the, the people there, they, you know, they would come to us for different things, and uh, they usually came with some sort of request. Now, they, they had a custom, though, that they cannot just come up and say, could you give me one of these things? Or could I, you have something that I could, that I could have. They had, a, they had a phrase in their own language that we learned later on. It's an idiom. It says, you, first, what its meaning literally was, before you chop down that big tree, you've got to cut all the underbrush around it. You know, get it ready to really cut that big tree. And what it meant was that you first of all just sort of make sure you got a good friendly atmosphere so that the person will be pleased that you came and might want to give you what you're wanting to give. But they, they've got to spend a little bit of time doing that first before they can tell you what they came for. And we learned that, it would, that for us to just say, yeah, what can I do for you? Uh, just give me a list, you know. To them that would be like a slap in the face culturally. They had to do it this way. They had to visit first. They had to get everything friendly. And then after about four or five minutes, then they would ask for one thing. And you'd say, sure, I've got one of those. I can help you with that. 
we'd go take care of that. And we'd think, uh, say, is there anything else? No, no, you know, you're, you're busy. But here, here's one thing. Illiterate people do not understand that work is something you can do with pencil and paper, something you do with axes and bush knives and so on. But they would come back to the desk and we'd visit some more. And then they would give another request. And uh, then you'd take care of that. And uh, is there anything else? No, no, just that's it. Visit for a little bit more. Usually they had a long list, you know. And so this was taking up time. The concentration is broken. All of these things. And, and so we're thinking, oh, my goodness. Focus is interrupted. What do we do? Well, have you ever experienced being bothered this way and interruptions here in America? You know, we had to quit calling these interruptions for one reason. They were what we considered divine appointments. If we could have been saying, oh my goodness, what do you want this time? Is that it? Okay, is there anything? Tell me now. I want to get back to work. No. Because don't you realize that uh, in missionary work and even here in America, we have to follow what is called the incarnational approach. We have to model the life and the love of Jesus And Paul explained it well in Galatians 3 and 26, 27. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, in studying the Greek and translating this word, that Greek word translated clothed comes from the Greek theater. And it literally means in costume of and portraying. You understand this? The whole world is our stage, and through our faith, all of us who were baptized into Christ are to be portraying the character of Christ in every situation. Now, you've got to love the people. It's just so essential. Satan wants to use these interruptions to get us all upset for his purposes. God wants to use these things for his purposes. So it's not only just interruptions in what we're trying to do, but all of the things that we face. We'll face disappointments, complications, obstacles to overcome. And if we get all upset with these, what we need to realize is that all people are watching us. And their character, their their ideas about who God is, what God is like, and what about this Christ that you say that you love and claim him as your Savior? And what about Christianity altogether? I'm going to look at you and the way that you live and decide whether I really believe this or not. So we have to portray the love of Christ in all things. Now, a church that is reflecting the acts of the sinful nature are just going to keep the church worldly and in a state of one problem after another. We've got to love each other. We've got to let that love overcome all of these other frustrations and difficulties. I want to bring one other scripture that's going to help us understand more about living love, and it's in 2 Peter, the first chapter, and verses 3 through 8. Peter wrote, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And then he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the last virtue in this list was love. So to avoid appearance of redundancy, this virtue that's oftentimes translated as mutual affection or uh, uh, brotherly kindness is actually the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Now, Peter is making a a deliberate point here in the scripture by listing the brotherly love and add to brotherly love, love. Why? The word Peter uses here, that's brotherly love, is a sort of a common, somewhat natural, and be expected love. But agape, the godly love, the last verb in there, is a willful, aggressive, yet pure and lofty form of love that's given regardless of whether or not it's received or not. And the point that Peter wants to make is that we need both forms of love. We need to make every effort to acquire both and to grow in both of them. And the Christian life is incomplete otherwise. So Peter used Philadelphia, and here's why. Another point. Philadelphia is to love what God loves. Agape is to love as God loves. We can put it another way and say the first is to love whom God loves, and the other is to love in the way that God loves. Now, Philadelphia, brotherly love for Christians does not mean a blood blood relative. It's not those who share the same bloodline, but those who've been redeemed in the blood of Christ. The shift that Peter makes doesn't so much redefine brotherhood and sisterhood, it redefines fatherhood. This retains the root meaning of brotherly love. It's love between those from the same father. We're following this? So the real question is not who's my brother, it's who's my father. It's our father God in heaven. And if my father is, if God is my father and your father is God, then we're children of the same father. And that makes us kin. That makes us brother and sister in Christ, the family of God. And if I love the Father, I will also love what the Father loves. And more than anything else, you know what it is the Father loves? He loves his children, your brothers and sisters, and you. So as an expression of my love for the Father, I must love my brothers and sisters also. Now it's important that we get the greatest commandment first, Loving him above all else. Because if we don't love him and have a desire to please him, we're prone to be self-seeking and and we're prone to be over-seeking and never fulfilling God's will. And it will be harder for us to love others as 
as ourselves or love them as God loves them. Now, we can be honest here. We'll say this, and everyone's thinking this. From a human perspective, not all people are immediately lovable, right? Okay? Some are obnoxious. Some are boring. Some we try to avoid. Some we would really like to put in their place from time to time. But if there are brothers and sisters, children of the same father, the Apostle John says, anyone who says he loves God but doesn't love his brother is a liar. And he says it more positively, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And in and of ourselves, we're incapable of loving someone else unconditionally. But if we love God first and foremost, we can love who he loves. And even through a long obedience in the same direction, we can love as he loves. Now, every time the word of God is preached, the spirit within us will make us aware of areas in our lives where we have not been obedient or in areas where we are still needing to be more consistent in winning victories for Christ. And we can't ignore what the Spirit's wanting to do in making these known to us. We can't forget them. We need to make a decision to be more focused on overcoming and growing. Now, I want to share one last story. In my second year as a Christian, the man who led me to Christ was talking with me about complete surrender to God. And he asked me, he says, David, have you ever prayed this prayer? God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, wherever you want me to go, you're the Lord. I'm your servant. I'd only been a Christian two years and still growing and learning. And I said, well, no, I've never really prayed that prayer. But yeah, he said, David, he looked me straight in the eye and said, I think it's every Christian's responsibility to pray that prayer. So that afternoon, I found a place where I could get alone and pray that prayer. I couldn't argue that. It was something I needed to do. But I made that decision and meant it from the bottom of my heart, and it made a difference. And you know, I still pray that prayer often. And it still continues to make more of a difference in how I grow and how more successful I am in loving like Christ loves. Have you ever prayed that prayer? You know, this is something that would be good for every sermon that you hear, every time you're in church and you hear these, these things preached and, and just, do I really live that way? Saying, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, wherever you want me to go, you're the Lord. I am your servant, committed to be obedient in all things. Well, that's a decision that we always call for. That's what we want our members, our brothers and sisters in Christ to do, is to make that your decision, your prayer. If you want to share a decision for Christ, you know it's always available. We want you to come. We want you to share that decision with us. Maybe you just need prayer. Come forward. We'll, we'll pray with you. But whatever it is that you need to do, to make your life right with the Lord and let him be Lord and you be the servant. You need to do that. Would you do that as we stand and sing?